Welcome to another episode of The Weeds on the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Matthew Iglesias. Uh, my guest today is a, a special. We've got uh, Peter Kafka, is a, a longtime member of the Recode and then Vox uh, team, is the host of a new podcast series, a, a new season, rather, of the Land of the Giants podcast series. Um, so welcome. Welcome, Peter. Glad to have you. Thank you. Nice to be here. I, I need to fact check you right from the top. My co-host is Ronnie Mola. I'm a co-host of this project. Co-host, yes. Okay, so Pete. I want to make sure Ronnie, Ronnie gets her props, as as well she should. Um, so uh, th- this season is is all about Netflix and what 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 made Netflix, uh, you know, the interesting subject for you. Netflix has been an interesting subject to me for a decade because I'm really interested in the convergence of media and tech and where that conflict happens. And Netflix has sort of been at the forefront of that sort of working with Hollywood, working against Hollywood, eventually sort of overtaking Hollywood. I think it's a a fascinating story. And now is a global entertainment giant. And I don't think we've ever seen anything like that before. Um, so all of that is fascinating to me. And so what we, we're we going to have uh, you, you and Ronnie talking about uh, sort of the the critical pivot from from Quickster to, to back to Netflix. And one of the things you guys get into is sort of the culture of a technology company, even though now it's like, it's a media company in a, in a very real way, uh, but but the CEO comes from from a tech background, and that sort of made a a real difference to how he thinks about running the company. Yeah, both he is he is a technologist. Reed Hastings is a technologist and genuinely nerdy about it. He's different than some of the other Silicon Valley bros. He did the Peace Corps. Um, he's got real edge, interest outside of technology as well. But yeah, Netflix was sort of famous within tech circles for this culture and specifically this culture deck it put up online about ten years ago. It's very influential in the startup world. Um, it preaches lots of things. I think a lot of people take for granted now in startup land where you have maximum flexibility as an employee. We're gonna pay you really well, but we expect you to excel. And if you don't excel, we're going to move you out. And this edict that we're we're, uh, we're not a family at Netflix, we're a team, meaning we don't expect you to work for us forever. At some point, we're going to replace you with a better quarterback. And many, 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 many people in tech take that very seriously. Our CEO, Jim Bankoff, has told us that he's very impressed and, and motivated by that uh, that deck. And, and and I think people know that a little bit about Netflix, but it's it's a much weirder culture than that. And unless you have worked there, you don't really get a sense of it. And that's what we wanted to sort of poke at a little bit. What's it actually like to work at Netflix? It, it sounds great to not have to fill out an expense policy, but sort of what's on the other side of that? And a lot of it... Um, almost feels a little cult-like. There's a whole language that you've got to learn. There's this sort of model of constant sort of criticism that you're expected to take from your coworkers about how you perform. If you if you screw up in a very bad way, you're supposed to do something called sunshining. And we would alternate back and forth as we were talking about this and researching and saying, this sounds terrible. I don't want to work here. And then sometimes we go, actually, that part sounds pretty cool where you get all the information about the company that you need. And so all of that is in one company. So let's let's talk about sunshining because it's it's a little yeah. it's a little bit weird, right? I mean, it, it reminds me of uh, Cultural Revolution almost. That's uh, exactly but... where I was going with it. Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah, what what is that? The idea is you have screwed up in some significant way and you basically are meant to go before your peers, and it can be many of your peers, hundreds of your peers, and explain what happened. This is what I got wrong. This is how I approached it. This is what I've learned. And the idea is that sort of clears the air and everyone's supposed to learn from it and it's supposed to encourage candor. And I never heard that many people complaining about that, although it sounds awfully creepy to me. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it just it it sounds stressful. Although there's there is something appealing about it uh, w- w- when I think about it, right? The idea of of people being being honest. So so uh, the episode we have, uh, you sort of recount this quickster episode, which is a a, a mistake, um, and and part of this culture of is built around that. And so, you know, just to set the stage for people, right? I mean, I I was an OG Netflix user, and this was the company that sent you DVDs in the mail. And it was incredible for sort of movie geeks because it it displaced the need to go to Blockbuster. It displaced the need to go out of your neighborhood to the like weird, obscure video store that that had all the stuff. And it was it was the it was the upside of the internet that a lot of us saw in, in the beginning of the internet like this is a much better version than what we had before it wasn't it didn't just replace block it was better than blockbuster right you could get any movie you want yes and it was it was this incredible long tail thing it was like a really cool company and yet totally different from the company that we know now and it was getting from a to b was tricky and they had this idea about how they were going to do that and it, it didn't go over well Right, and, and and you'll you'll hear sort of the sort of what they learned from that. Um, and I don't want to I don't want to step on the the narrative, but I, one of the things that in, that beyond that that's interesting to me is that this is actually always what Reed Hastings had been talking about. He started this DVD by mail company in the late '90s, but he was always talking about becoming a movie streaming service in in the late '90s. Is this is where we're gonna go? And what he tried to do with Quickster was just speed that up much faster than his his customers actually wanted. <laughs> and you know, but it, it's a it's a fascinating story that you know he had this vision, right? Because the idea of sort of pivoting is this kind of technology world cliche. And on one level, that's absolutely what Netflix did. But on another level, it, it really was a plan to sort of use the, I don't want to say loophole, but but the way copyright law worked around the distribution of physical media was that nobody could stop you. The right from of first Netflix. sale, yeah. Exactly. Right. So, so, you know, it's like once you put a DVD for sale, anyone who buys the DVD, they can resell it to anyone they want. They can mail it to people however they want, which is totally different from it's like streaming licensing universe. Like you couldn't have done a pure streaming startup, probably. Right. If if I want to rent a, a copy of a Disney movie on DVD from Netflix, Netflix can literally go to Costco and buy that DVD or a 10 pack of them and mail them to me. They still have that business, by the way, today. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I want to stream that movie, one person controls that rights, those rights. And it's usually Disney or some in some cases in the past Netflix. And it's a whole different financial structure. Uh, and what Reed Hastings was trying to do is saying we are going to this DVD business, which everyone loves. We've got 20 million subscribers. That's an old business. And we are going to try to move out of that as quickly as we can and sort of see around corners and, and sort of wrench our audience into the future. And it, you know, it, 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 it confused people. It didn't sort of go, go over well. And yet, I mean, in a larger sense, he was right. I mean, he avoided the temptation that people have to when they're successful, because that old Netflix, like that was seen as a successful company. Uh, People were talking about their culture, their model, even back then. And I think what a lot of people do, institutions do, is they get conservative, right? You want to protect the business that you've succeeded with. And he really wanted to push them into this different business such that, I mean, now it's like, it's, it, I think to young people would sound like a joke, like people were excited to sign up for a company that sent you little discs in the mail. 
It's crazy. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of there. There are a lot of company. It's a cliche to talk about disrupting yourself. And the reason it's a cliche is because everyone talks about it and no one does it. Uh, but Netflix came pretty close. Uh, and there's a lot of risk involved in what they did. And they screwed it up uh, at the beginning, um, which they will not they will now admit to that. <laughs> right. And that's the sort of um, I mean, I guess the the upside of trying to have this this culture of uh, almost brutal honesty is that you can make mistakes and also plow ahead with the sort of right because the 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 takeaway there was that the implementation was a mistake, but that the desire to really push the streaming business forward was correct, right? And right. that's why you you need that kind of comfort with the idea of mistakes to do that. That's exactly right. And, you know, I think there are limits to how much you can push that. And it certainly helps if you're the CEO uh, <laughs> who's been fantastically successful up until that point. You, you get a little bit more leeway. I'm not sure anybody else would be, would have been able to, to do that, but he, he pulled it off. Uh, and that's and that again, that's that is what we are going to talk about in this very episode, this mini episode. Um, should we should, should we play that or do you want to talk more? It's up to you. It's your show. Uh <laughs> Uh, well, you know, I mean, I just wanted to just sort of talk about one more thing, which is that yeah. they, I mean, they they pay people well, right? Like, that's the flip side of this. Like, it it sounds like a very stressful place to work. It is a very stressful place to work. Um, they pay very well. They pay top of market. Uh, one thing I didn't know about them going in is they have a, a policy where they encourage you when you get a call from a headhunter to go meet with that recruiter and find out how much they might want to pay you to leave Netflix. And the theory is once you know that you can go back to Netflix and say, so uh, Google wants to pay me this much. And they might say, oh, well, we'll have to match that. Uh, and so the idea is we're going to pay you very well. We'll pay you at the top of the market because we only want the best people. If you're here, that means you're one of the best people. But again, that also means that we, sh we may replace you with someone who's even better at some point. Uh, and I've talked people. I've talked people who said this is a this is a terrible place to work. It's very stressful, and I will never get paid as well as I do uh, here at any other job I go to. It's going to suck. Yeah, I mean that's 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 the trade off. Okay, um, so so that's great. It's a really fascinating episode. I I think you guys are going to enjoy it. So we'll just uh, let you let you give it a listen now. Thank you. Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. All right, so here's the deal. Today, Netflix announced that it was splitting its business into two. I mean, the good news that's going to come out of this is no longer will New Coke be the worst public announcement. It's really going to be Quickster, which I'm saying is Deadster. This was Netflix's attempt to get the world to embrace streaming long before streaming was mainstream, and it failed. It's one of those experiences that no one wants to think about, that's for sure. It failed so badly that Netflix execs like Cindy Holland, who runs original programming, have tried to forget it. Let's back up. Netflix started out in the late 90s, shipping movies and TV shows on DVDs through the mail. And in 2007, Reed Hastings began letting his subscribers stream videos over the internet, too, for free. At first, this was a thing that appealed just to early adopters, but by 2011, millions of Netflix customers were doing it. 
But Hastings wanted things to move even faster. He wanted everyone to stream, and he wanted to start getting out of the DVD business. We were a hybrid service with DVD and streaming together in the U.S., um, starting to do streaming alone internationally. Um, I realized that we would be better if we could split those two services so we were not dependent on DVD and that we were the best streaming company full stop. You can hear it in his voice. Hastings is a tech guy and he's a very logical dude. And like a lot of Silicon Valley logical dudes, especially those that have had some success early on like he did, Hastings assumed that if it made sense to him, you'd get it too. In his mind, this was simple. Streaming was the future, and Netflix had to make itself into a streaming company. So Hastings tried to force the issue. You'll still be able to stream movies, but if you want DVDs, you're going to have to use a whole new service. Boy, are people pissed off about that one. In 2011, Netflix announced that its basic service, which offered DVDs and unlimited streaming for 10 bucks a month, was now going to be two services. If you wanted to watch stuff on the Internet, you'd pay 8 bucks a month for that. And if you wanted to rent DVDs, you'd pay another 8 bucks a month for that, too. So you have to pay a lot more to get the same stuff you got before. That is a good way of putting it. It was a 60% price hike delivered when Americans were still climbing out of a huge recession. And it went along with a move to make a simple service way more complicated. You can imagine how that went over. No one was thrilled by the recent Netflix pricing increase, but the way in which they delivered the message was what really seems to have caused the majority of the backlash. This is one of the first mainstream internet uprisings against a big consumer company. A lot of this happened on Facebook, where Netflix customers went to complain, and sometimes they would find Reed Hastings there answering some of their complaints. He was extra hands-on back then. It's hard to remember what 2011 was like, but a lot of the internet mass behavior, social interaction stuff was just starting. And so this idea that then people would be upset on Facebook and then other people would see it and amp up the total conversation, we had not witnessed many of those in society before. Netflix customers weren't the only ones who didn't like Hastings' idea. Many of his executives also had doubts, but they were scared to tell him that. Or more generously, they figured Reed Hastings is super smart, and if he thought it was right, he must be right, even if it made no sense to them. I do remember the conversations. Um, you know, the difficult thing about it is Reed had been right about almost everything. Cindy Holland is one of those executives who didn't know how to tell Hastings that splitting the business in two might be a mistake. This was really the first big example where I think there was some nervousness. Yeah, there were some doubts, but... He'd just been right so many times. This wasn't terrible logic, by the way. Reed Hastings was the guy who started a video company back when everyone in the world got their videos from Blockbuster. Bad idea, right? But he won. By 2011, Netflix had more than 20 million subscribers, and Blockbuster was bankrupt. So maybe Hastings did know what he was talking about. Everyone knows the tale of the self-absorbed, arrogant CEO who doesn't listen. And there's an element of that because we've been so successful at so many things before that. But the more subtle one is that I had been so successful before that most of the executives thought, this isn't smart, or I don't think it is smart, but Reed has been right on so many things. I'll bet he's right on this one, and I'm just not seeing it. But the customers saw it, and Netflix paid the price. By the end of the year, more than 700,000 people had canceled their Netflix subscription, and at one point, Netflix stock had dropped by 70%. What was it like inside the company when you rolled this out and then just saw the feedback coming in, saw the stock drop? Mm -hmm. What was, what was well, it first like? first we were uh, defensive and we're like, we knew it was going to be hard. We weren't stupid that it was people were going to like it. Customers bailed on him and investors hammered his stock and Hastings doubled down. To emphasize that the future of Netflix was streaming, he announced that Netflix's DVD company was no longer going to be called Netflix anymore. 
and he decided the best way to announce that was a video. Hi, I'm Reed Hastings, CEO and co-founder of Netflix. We've been working for the past 14 years to build Netflix year by year into the best possible service we could build. We're making this video today to apologize in person, or at least on camera, for something that we did recently. This is a weird video. It features Hastings sitting outside at a patio table wearing a bright teal button-down shirt. It's also weird because he's not really apologizing. He's saying he's going ahead with this plan that everyone hates. Oh, and he's got a new name for it, too. We think that the DVD service needs its own brand so that we can advertise it. So we've named our DVD service Quickster. What the hell is a Quickster? Why is it being spelled QW? And why is the CEO of this tech company shooting lo-fi apology videos outside his office? This video and that name were so widely panned that even Saturday Night Live went after it. And now a message from Netflix.com. Hi, I'm Reed Hastings, CEO and co-founder of Netflix. This is Jason Sudeikis as Reed Hastings, and Fred Armisen is next to him as one of his underlings. Fake Reed Hastings, by the way, is wearing that teal shirt. We knew you loved Netflix because it was an easy-to-use website for all your movie needs. To make it better, we split it into two separate, slightly more confusing sites. Netflix for streaming video, and Quickster, which will handle DVD rentals. Did we spell a Quickster in a normal way? No, we didn't. No. <laughs> no. Q-W-I-K. Annoying, but easier. Right. Yeah. And by the way, we know it's off-putting to see the CEO of a powerful company rocking a goatee and teal shirt, but trust us, <laughs> we know what we're doing. This is a great video, by the way. It is definitely worth looking up. And Netflix got lucky. The skit never actually ran on SNL itself. It was only online. And uh, do you remember the SNL video? Uh, yes. <laughs> You're wincing. Steve Swayze handled PR for Netflix during the Quickster debacle. The thing is, Netflix moves fast on everything, and when it's the consumer benefit, everybody loves it. But when it's a mistake, it's amplified. And that's when we really started to feel the hurt. That's when people really revolted. The non-apology apology video did not work. More subscribers left, and Netflix stock sank even lower. And Reed Hastings, the super logical guy who was convinced that he was right and everyone else was wrong, finally got the message. He was left with no choice. Netflix has abandoned Quickster, its widely panned movie streaming service. Netflix says it was just too quick with its plan for Quickster. In other words, Quickster is dead. Even today, Hastings says he was wrong, but not that wrong. The big thing was we did a 60% price increase to 20 million American families in the middle of a recession. So there's no communications that's going to make that go down well. So to recap, you raise prices, you make a simple service complicated, you create a terrible name for a new product that people do not want and tell everyone who hates it that they're wrong. This was not a great run for Hastings, and he put the life of his company in danger. But Netflix survived. Eventually, subscriber numbers started ticking up again, and since that's all Wall Street really cared about, the stock went up again, too. And while the Quickster name has gone to heaven, Hastings still ended up going forward with his plan to make DVDs separate from Netflix's streaming service. Today, if you want to get Netflix to send you DVDs, you can. You go to a service called DVD.com and you sign up there and you pay another eight bucks a month. The lesson for Hastings was not that he screwed up or that he was too early pushing streaming or maybe he should have worn a different color shirt in that video. It's that lots of people around him could have told him he was going to make a mistake, but they didn't. They lost their own self-confidence. It wasn't me suppressing it. It was them overly deferential. 
because of the track record of the beating blockbuster, all these like crazily unlikely and hard things. And so afterwards, what we realized is, okay, we need to be much more active at farming for dissent. Hastings vowed to run a company where everyone everywhere could tell everyone else what they thought of them and their ideas. And specifically, Netflix came up with this idea where you could take a crazy big swing at something, but you better ask other Netflixers to troubleshoot it first. This is what Hastings and Netflix call farming for dissent. You're trying to get your coworkers to tell you what's wrong with your idea. If you tell everyone about your plan and you get their feedback and they hate it and you still want to go ahead, you can. And if it fails, you'll be okay in theory. But if you haven't farmed for dissent in advance and you also fail, you're going to have a problem. Because then they all see each other. It's just an open Google Doc. So they all see how each other feel. And then everybody has to vote in public in writing of do they think this would be wise, stupid, not stupid. And then it's up to me to write a, a summary of, okay, this is what I heard. And it might be that we're still doing X or Y, which might not be the popular choice. So no one, it's not advertised as a democracy. Let's vote it up uh, like the Senate or something. But it's everyone on record. I'm still not 100% sure that employees will ever be as candid with Hastings or their boss as they might be with people who can't lay them off and ruin their lives. So you're suggesting that it's one thing to tell me that you don't like my salad choice, another thing to go tell our CEO that you don't like the direction the company's going? Exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, and Reed Hastings made one other decision after Quickster. He hid that teal shirt in the closet, and he never wore it again. And a few years later, he gathered his employees and held a ceremonial burning. Where did you burn it? Just in that same patio where the video was. That's awesome. Support for The Weeds comes from Not Another Politics Podcast from the Harris School of Public Policy. Trying to keep up with the political news cycle in 2023 can sometimes feel like staring into a black hole of information, where hundreds of thousands of opinions and facts get sucked in and distorted. We know it's a lot, even if you're listening to The Weeds every week. You all know, in order for the average person to stay capital I informed, it can help to find and listen to sources who are working to cut through the noise and offer perspectives that go beyond the headlines. Not Another Politics Podcast tries to do just that. It was launched and produced by the University of Chicago Harris School of Public Policy. It's not a pundits and politicians podcast. Rather, it takes a research and data approach to analyzing hot button issues. They cover a wide variety of topics in their episodes, but here are just a few that you can listen to right now. Whether or not ousting incumbents improves the economy, the extent to which white Americans favor white politicians, and what happens when Fox News viewers tune into CNN instead for a month. You can listen and subscribe today at harris.uchicago.edu slash nap. That's N-A-P-P. All right, so that was the episode or mini episode, I guess. If you, if you want to listen to the whole thing and listen to the whole season, you should subscribe to Land of the Giants on the Vox Media Podcast Network. You can find it on Apple, on Spotify, uh, wherever fine podcasts are sold.